growing up, we knew what it meant to sacrifice because we didn't have anything. Instead of allowing that to draw us closer to God, for me, what it did, I said, if this, if this is what it's all about, I don't want to do this. And so as a young kid, I remember thinking in my mind, when I get older, I'm going to do something different than dad did. I'm going to make my own way. And I felt personally like dad let me down because all my friends for lunch, they had fruit roll-ups, they had chips, apples. I'd look in my bag, I'd have a pancake with some jelly in it. And that's it. So for me personally, I got bitter. I never had a relationship with Jesus Christ when I was a kid. I went to church, yeah, and I talked about God before, but the whole time I was rebelling. I went forward in church a few times when I got in trouble and tried to make people happy by thinking that I was repenting, but it never really sunk down into my heart. And I could have quoted Bible verses because my mom would pay us pennies per verse. And so we would memorize so we could get some money for candy. But it didn't mean a thing to me. But you know what? That whole my childhood years, God was preparing me for the time when the light would come on for me. And it wasn't until I was 22 years old when I realized that Jesus loved me personally, even though I had been a fake all of those years. And all of a sudden, God just basically put his finger on me and said, I love you. And to me, that broke my heart. I got out of bed one night after hearing a message preached on hell, and I said, God, if you can use me, I'll do whatever you want me to do. So that was my junior year at college. I kind of skipped the period of rebellion in my life. I led my brothers down. And I got through high school at Maranatha Baptist Academy, but my other brothers all got kicked out. I would say that I was a bad example. Of course, they made their own decisions, but as an older brother, I had an opportunity to lead them away from that. My mom continued to pray. And our family was just in a mess. We were scattering different directions, and it looked like everything was going to fall apart. I ran away from home, and I lived in a tent, and basically this is what I wanted to do, like the prodigal son. And God, in his providence, brought me back home not repentant, but just brought me back home because I realized that's not what I wanted. So I went off to Bob Jones because I wanted to make a new life for myself. And when I got to Bob Jones, after my freshman year, I was ready to quit. I was ready to throw in the towel. Went home, and the, the dean of men called me and talked to me, talk, basically talked me into going back. And so when I went back my sophomore year, then I, I tried to conform again. But it is hard. It is really hard. And if there's some rules there, 
that you're supposed to do. Like at BJ, there were some rules. And I think I had 149 demerits my freshman year. And if you get 150, you're out. Um, you don't have to check my records. I'm not sure what I had, but it was close. My sophomore year, I tried my best. And I didn't get as many, but I was very unhappy. And I would look around and I'd say, how can these people be happy? This is torture. And so, but my junior year, when God just kind of put his hand on me and he's, I realized that I was a sinner and I asked Christ to save me. The very next day, I remember it like it was yesterday. I opened up my Bible without my teacher telling me to. And I read this book and the words meant something to my heart. They spoke to my heart. When we look in the mirror, like we did this morning, um, sometimes we're happy with what we see, but most of the time we're not happy with what we see. And when I looked in this mirror right here, God said, hey, there's some stuff there you need to change. You need to change it. And for the first time in my life, I didn't say, what are you talking about? I'm okay. I said, God, I do need to change. And for the first time in my life, I wasn't trying to protect my image anymore. Before that, I always was very defensive and really hard to get close to. I didn't have many friends because I was afraid that I might have to let down my guard. And they might find out who I really am. And when God saved me, for the first time in my life, I was willing to stand up and say, hey, I'm a loser. Before that, I was always being really careful what I said. But then I realized, you know what? I am a wicked person. But for the grace of God, I could stand here today. And so... As I looked at my brothers, some of them had already changed, but not all of them. And so I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I, that, that year, they were. I heard that um, Neighborhood Bible Time was coming, so I went and talked to Charles Holmesher. And he was coming through B.J., and he walked through the room, and he goes, Hey, Zimmer! And I looked over at him, and he was like, Come here, I want to talk to you. And he, when he talks to you, he gets right in your face. And I wasn't used to that. He's like getting right in my face. He's like hitting me in the ribs. And that's what I needed, though. And he said, Zimmer, I want you to come to NBT. And so I signed up, took the bus. It was a 40-hour trip to Boulder. And I sat on that wretched bus as it stopped in Texas at every little stop. People would run out, smoke, come back in, sit down, and it just it went on. And I, finally I got to, to Boulder, and uh, they picked me up at the airport. And when they came, or the, the bus stop, and when they came to the bus stop, there was a bunch of weirdos in white shirts 
with ties and ribbons all over their body. And they did the booster cheer right in the bus stop. We are boosters, Bible time boot. And it was embarrassing. And he said, Zimmer, that's what you're going to be doing. And so we went in, this is, this is amazing, but we went into a restaurant and he told us all to get up on the table and do the booster cheer. And we did. I mean, I don't know what the, the owner of the restaurant thought about these goofy guys, but that is exactly what I needed in my life because all of my life I had been worried about my image and that kind of brought me out of myself. My junior year to my senior year, I was, um, I knew that God wanted to use me in, in some way because that summer I, I was able to travel around and tell people about the Lord and, and some people trusted Christ. But I still wasn't willing to give up that one key in my life that was on the keychain, and that was, I want to do something that will make me money. And so, even though I was willing to serve God up to a certain point, there was still one room that I said, God, you can have all, all of this part of my life, but this part over here, I can still have this and serve you. I'll use what I have. If I start this business, I'll train my guys for you. And so I did that. I used, I had an opportunity to, to, um, to work with some guys and, and I would always try to uh, preach to them. I would do all kinds of things, but I, I just wasn't happy. I was a very unhappy person. And things were going well for the business, but not for me. And my wife, she looked at me one day and she said, are you okay? Because I was getting scrawny. I wasn't eating right. I was just obsessed with this business. And so finally, one day I was, I was in, encouraged to, to memorize some verses in 2 Timothy in the pastorals. And I started in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I memorized down there. And when I got down to the verse about an evangelist, I said, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. We heard about it last night. And God spoke to me that day. He said, you are the one that I'm talking to. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I'm talking to you. And I said, God, you want to use me as an evangelist? The next Sunday I went to church and Pastor Vaughn was preaching about Daniel and he said, there might be a guy in this room, a young man, who God wants to use. And you need to be willing to purpose in your heart like Daniel did, to stand up and say, here I am, I'm going to do it. And that that day, after he got done preaching, I didn't go forward. I went back. I went to the bathroom and I wept. I came back out and I went forward and I took his hand and I said, Pastor Vaughn, God's called me to preach. And he said, I want you to tell the people. And so that was my first opportunity to share my testimony with the people. And I just said, it's humbling but God called me to preach. And um, 
I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to do whatever it takes, Lord willing and God helping me. The gospel can transform a life. Just a few years ago, if you could have seen me, you would, you would know this is true. And if I went back in your life to the point where you realized you needed a Savior until now, look back and think about who you used to be. And you say, wow, thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. I've heard it said that a jewel is a bit of ordinary earth which has passed through some extraordinary experiences. And that's true of a life that's been transformed. Same with a pearl. A pearl's just a little speck of sand inside of that clamshell, and it begins to try to protect itself, and it grows around that little piece of sand, and it becomes a beautiful pearl. That's what God does with filthy, rotten sinners who deserve hell. But because of this beautiful plan of God, we can be transformed to become something that is actually useful for the Creator. And that's powerful. I want to share a passage in Colossians. So if you have your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 19. It says, For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am now made a minister who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for His body's sake, which is the church, whereof I made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the Word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages from generations, but now is made manifest to His saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may pre present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. There's a lot of big words in there. And... There's a lot of doctrine in there. But I want to try to simplify this into just three things about the transforming life, about the gospel transforming a life. The first one is the plan of God is a cleansed life. A cleansed life. He says here, having made peace through the blood of the cross, of His cross. The plan of God is for 
a person to meet Christ and then for the gospel to change his life, a cleansed life. Here's what it says in Matthew 26, 28. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The blood of Christ is what washes away our sins. Acts 20.28 says, We are purchased with His blood. Romans 3.25, We have the propitiation through faith in His blood. Romans 5.9, We're justified by His blood. Ephesians 1.7, We're redeemed through His blood. Colossians 1.20, We have peace through the blood. And Hebrews 10.19, We have boldness to enter the throne of grace because of the blood of Christ. When Jesus shed His blood, His plan was that by faith, when we look to the cross of Calvary, His blood washes away our sin. And to have the burden of that sin lifted from my shoulders, for Him to clean my mind and to cleanse my mind, the burden is gone. I can remember after I came home from school, and I was riding with my dad in the car. And God just broke my heart. And I said, Dad, I am so sorry for the way I acted when I was a teenager. I'm so sorry. And my dad said, Mark, you've got to stop beating yourself up. Stop beating yourself up. It's all under the blood. You know, Many times for me, it might be this way for you too. We know that the blood washes away our sin and we say, God, I need your cleansing. But we forget that when He forgives, He forgets. A cleansed life is through the blood of Christ. When the blood of Christ cleanses us, we go from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. We go from being an alien to a citizen. We go from a change from our, from our thought life, thinking evil thoughts, thoughts that do not please God, to being able to think the way God does through His Word. We use His Word to change. There's a change in thought life. There's a change in behavior. And when God cleans us inside, He's getting ready to transform our life on the outside. But it's got to happen inside first. I have tried and tried for years and years to change on the outside, and it never worked. I couldn't do it. I thought by discipline, I'll be able to change. Nope, couldn't do it. But when God came inside of my heart, He washed my heart clean, and He changed me on the outside as well. David Livingston said this, I'll go anywhere provided it is forward. What he was saying by that is, I don't want to sit still in my life. I want God to keep changing me. So the plan of God is a cleansed life. The purpose of God is a transformed life. A transformed life. Our passage talks about living blameless, holy, and above reproach. God's purpose is not for us to live defeated. It is to bring glory to Him through change in our life that only He can do. And isn't it a difficult task 
of helping someone to understand this truth because they keep going back. They've got to be constantly reminded that God doesn't want us to live defeated. But the change in our life allows us to live blameless, holy, and above reproach. Only God can do that. Only God can change a life by the blood of the cross. He continues to work in our life and He transforms us. The change that takes place causes us to rejoice even though we are suffering. For 12 long years, Bunyan's lips were silenced in the Bedford jail. It was there, however, that he did his greatest and best work of his life. For while he was in prison, he wrote the book that has been read the most next to the Bible. The book is The Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan said, I was at home in prison, and I sat down and wrote and wrote, for the joy did make me write. Wow, he's in prison. He's spending his life in prison and he says he had joy. How could he have joy? It came from God because of this transforming power of God in his life. And he said, Lord, I know you want me here, so I'm going to make the best of it. Another purpose of God is for us to live out the gospel. Look at verse 25. He says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, to fully preach the word of God, to live out the gospel in our life. I've told this illustration before, I believe, but I was in my bathroom and I was tearing out the floor because termites had gotten into some of the wood. And so I was putting in some more wood our toilet was rocking whenever we sat in it, and it was really scary. So um, we tore all that out, and we were replacing everything. And my kids were taking piano lessons, and they had gone up there to, to, to do their lessons, and there were no cars in the driveway. I was by myself in the bathroom. When I hear the door, the, the living room door, creep open, and I was like, somebody's coming in the house. And I'm sitting there with the hammer in my hand. So I walk out of the bathroom, <laughs> hammer in hand. And it's one of the teenagers in our youth group. Now, this guy had been known for his problem with stealing. And I had already told him, because he had broken into our house. So I had told him, don't ever come in our house if there's no cars in the driveway. Please. I said, if you do, I'm going to call the police. So here I am with the hammer, come walking out, and it's him. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, uh, uh, I, I was look, looking for Johnny. I wanted to play with Johnny. And I said, no, 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 no. I told you that if there were cars in the driveway, you don't come in the house. And he knew, he, he looked really guilty, and out of my mouth came something I wish hadn't. I said, if you do it again, I'm going to hit you on the head with the hammer. And then I said, Lord, forgive me for that. And I said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. The problem is, it's difficult to live out the gospel. It's difficult. Say, oh, not for me. Uh-huh. What about somebody steals your wheelbarrow? Wheelbarrows for me, 
That is like gold. I don't know why, but to replace my wheelbarrow tire is so difficult. Just the wheelbarrow tire. That's something they're going to take because a wheelbarrow, you've got to have it for the way we live. Somebody takes your wheelbarrow. What are you going to do? They're watching how you respond. Here's what John Wesley said. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. That's the transformed life, living out the gospel. And that's when we make an impact to those around us. The third one is the promise of God. It's a hopeful life found in verse 27. God would make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. He changes us. He says to continue in the faith in verse 23. He says, continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So continue in the faith, continue in the hope of the gospel. And then he says, continue to preach, warn, and teach those who God has entrusted to us to be like Jesus. Warning them, exhorting them to be like Jesus. To walk as He walked. And my prayer in my ministry as I, as I attempt to serve the Lord in a weak and frail body is that I will be a servant of His, a friend of God. And as we serve together, that those serving with me understand that we are the same. We're brothers. There's a little song that we sing. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're brothers and sisters. And to be able to sing that song and look around the room as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a brotherhood. And, and what an awesome and a beautiful thing it is that God should choose us to be in His family as brothers and sisters.